Brothers and sisters, the text for the proclamation of the gospel this morning is Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. In response to the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from hymn 77, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator, in grateful devotion, our tribute we bring. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, young and older, the old has gone, the new has come. The new, this new year, A.D. 216, the year of our Lord. Or, as it is more common these days, to call it C.E. 2016, the year of the common era. And yet, just as there was nothing common about the year of the Lord, 2015, no doubt we may also say nothing will be common as such as the year 2016. So really, we ought not to use that rather bland designation, CE. Instead, we must see also this year in connection with the birth and with the death and the ascension and the rule and the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For, as we have just read, he comes to judge the nations in righteousness, in equity. And now, the year which belongs to history saw a great deal of grief and fear and pain as terrorists attacked and killed dozens of people in Paris. I think that horrible tragedy is still fresh in our minds. And then there were at least nine nations, including Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands, as well as Papua New Guinea, that were ravaged by devastating cyclones not so long ago. There were violent airplane crashes and seemingly everyday occurrences of refugees by the thousands, even as we sit here quite comfortably today, by the thousands still trying to find a place of refuge, having been torn from their homelands. It's true, the year that this past also saw many blessings. You will testify to that. Day after day, indeed, each day being a day of the Lord. 
And now here we are, it's January the 1st, and we may say, this too is a day, and this will be, it is already a year that the Lord has made that we may rejoice and be glad in it. And in fact, the psalm on which we want to concentrate this morning says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have gained Him the victory. It's anything but a lament. It's a new song concerning wonderful things done by that powerful arm of the Lord, God's arm in the Bible always stands for his deeds, his mighty deeds of deliverance, his deeds of leading his covenant people in the way that they should go. Well, then, that in this new year, we might keep looking to that Lord and that arm, even as we anticipate, the Lord willing, his return to judge the living and the dead. Let us hear the gospel in which we are directed to sing to the Lord a new song. And then we hear three things. We hear of the reason for singing that song. In the second place, we hear of the music makers. You can say the singing, and includes as well the instruments that are to be used. And in the third place, the reach or the extent of that song. We hear that especially in the verses 7 through 9. Sing to the Lord a new song. We hear of the reason for singing, the music makers, and the reach or the extent of that song. First, the reason. It's clear, I think, that verse 1, as well as the whole psalm, glories in what, you may, what we may call a, a wonderful, a marvelous, even an extraordinary song of praise. And that's no wonder, really, although it should cause us to stand in awe, as the singer speaks of the awe-inspiring works of the Lord. He doesn't sing about, about his own deeds, but he sings of the awe-inspiring deeds of the Lord. He joins his song to that of others, for instance, that of David, many of whose psalms also speak that kind of language, extolling the works, the wonders that the Lord has done. Psalm 9, for instance, gives thanks to the Lord wholeheartedly and recounts his wonderful deeds. And you hear the same in Psalm 26, where the psalmist looks back and he sings aloud of those deeds of his master, his Lord. And then you may also think of Psalm 96, which we read. Very close indeed, it's practically a clone, you might say. Practically the same as Psalm 98. It's a psalm in which Indeed, many of God's wondrous ways are also put into print. And those words, wonderful deeds, they must surely look back to God's great acts in history, the deliverance of his people out of Egypt, his care for them as they crossed the desert to the promised land, his mighty deeds in fighting Israel's battles for her, and then not to forget his blessings as he set up his tent and then later on also saw to the building of the temple that indeed his dwelling might be in their midst. His powerful word that he had proclaimed to them, that word concerning the promised Messiah, his very own son whom he said was coming. For the victory that the psalmist, whoever he was, sang about was surely not just a victory over armies of flesh and blood, 
Although if it was David, you might think it would have because he spent his whole life fighting against God's enemies physically. In verse 2, the psalmist rejoiced because the Lord had made known his salvation. His salvation, that's his victory over sin and over shame and over death and over hell. Already before our Lord Jesus Christ came and withstood the temptations of the evil one, and then when he died that bitter and shameful death on Calvary's cross, he too had flexed his powerful right hand and his holy arm. He too joined with the Father and the Spirit as they cast aside the idols of Egypt. It has his people win victory after victory over those sinful and idolatrous nations surrounding Canaan. And he pictured before their eyes constantly the blood sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Have you ever thought about that, brothers and sisters? The Israelites were reminded of that blood sacrifice. Not only when they were there, indeed, to offer their sacrifices in the temple, but even as they crossed those brooks, for instance, the brook Kidron, before they came up the Temple Mount. Because if they leaned over that bridge and when they looked into that river, that water was red. It was red with blood. How did it get that way? Well, archaeologists have found, because they asked the question, how is it possible? Where, where, where did all that blood from those thousands of lambs and other animals that were sacrificed, where did that blood all go? And then they found that below the streets, indeed, of the temple square, indeed, there were like viaducts, there were like pipes, and they, they emptied into those brooks surrounding it so that God's people were constantly reminded that blood had to be shed. And not only that, but then they looked from far really also to the temple, then from afar they could see smoke rising. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. There was smoke rising from the main altar primarily. Again, reminding them also that sacrifice for sin had to be made. The Lord indeed made known his salvation, which was to come the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in many ways before. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is alive today. He has fulfilled those prophecies already, that prophecy that you read of in Genesis 3, verse 15, when the Lord God placed enmity between the seed of the serpent and the woman, the church. God, in doing so, revealed his righteousness says the, the psalmist, in the sight of the nations, the nations, not just Israel, his righteousness, that is his justice, in which he separates right from wrong, the sheep from the goats, that right and truth he openly showed before the nations. That means that the Lord God dared to enter the lion's den, so to speak, because those nations round about were anything but sympathetic to the true faith and true religion. No, he dared to enter that lion's den and to set before them his covenant love and favor which he promised and which he blessed his own people. Was it to perhaps to make them jealous of that love and of that mercy? 
And that mighty God, he bent down in his mercy and in his faithfulness, his steadfast love to the house of Israel. To the house of Israel. Yes, for God's favor was first of all to them. As the Lord Jesus himself said to that Samaritan woman at the well, remember? You read about it in John 4. Salvation is of the Jews. And the Apostle Paul, deploring the rejection of the gospel by his fellow Jews, says in Romans 9, they who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, so richly blessed they are, like we, you and I. And the church of Jesus Christ is richly blessed in having God's word and knowing of his new covenant in his blood. And no, those promises and those other rich blessings which God remembered were not theirs because, because of their high marks for their obedience. Far from it. Israel's history is oftentimes an unbroken litany, litany of covenant unfaithfulness, the breaking of his law. And so it is much more God's mercy, his grace, his keeping to his solemn, glorious promises concerning his salvation. In that mercy, he did not leave the nations without hope. As the prophet Isaiah proclaimed, God would give Israel his servant as a light to the Gentiles. Thank God for that, if that had not been the case we would not be here today. We would never have heard the gospel. No, as the prophet Isaiah says, he gave it, Israel a light to the Gentiles. So fulfilling the call to Abram way back there in Genesis 12, that indeed in him all the families of the earth should be blessed. It's a promise that runs like a golden thread throughout the Old Testament. So many of the Psalms, only think of Psalm 87 and again this Psalm 96, where in verse 3 the psalmist passes on God's universal command. Declare his glory, he says, among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Do not be silent about it. Do not keep it to yourself, but declare it. And what is that glory but the promise of salvation? And what is that salvation but that great and mighty wonder? 400 years ago, a faithful hymn writer expressed it in words that we now know as hymn 20. A great and mighty wonder upon the earth was done when Mary, virgin mother, gave birth to God's own son. That too was God's promise. Jesus Christ would come he would cause the gospel to be brought to the nations by his ambassadors, first of all the apostles, later the ministers of his church, yes, even by his faithful children who would rejoice in the Lord always, whose mouths would run over with praise to the Lord. They were to be the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Do we need more reasons for singing a new song to the Lord. The psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs of which Paul speaks in his letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians, they were all, we may say, in all humility, spirit-bred and spirit-led. 
That's what makes them fresh and new. That's what makes them fresh and new. Because they are God's word, God's promises. Like gorgeous flowers that would pop out of the ground, continually never wilting, full of the colors of God's love and mercy. And the wondrous thing is, is that these marvelous promises of salvation so long ago, given by the Lord God to his church, that he had also us in mind. Way back then, he already had us in mind. And what we would do indeed also with those marvelous gifts in the year 2016. He would bless us with deliverance, though we of ourselves have no claim on his mercy. The church of Jesus Christ had lived in the deep, dark shadows of sin very long. And when you and I are honest and trace our history back, it may well be that we don't even have to go back many generations before we find our ancestors bowing down to the idols of their day. Together with the wild and often violent, uncouth and unchristian tribes that lived in those islands, coasts and oceans, now known as the Netherlands, for that matter, or the British Isles. But Jesus Christ had mercy on us, caused us to be born anew, worked faith in us, as he promised to do also in 2016, through the preaching of the gospel, continues that marvelous transformation called regeneration, the new life, and he will by his grace continue to do so. We may count on it, for he has promised and he is faithful. So then, and I come to the second point, let us join the music makers who would lead us in singing this new song to the Lord. In the verses 4 and following, it is as if the whole world appears to be in possession of a gorgeous voice, or you could call it a new world symphony, a new world symphony, while everything that's not in possession of a sound of musing, music, everything that does not have vocal chords is led by the music of the harp and the trumpet as well as the horn. Those instruments needed then, and perhaps we can say needed today as well in praising the Lord. And it is remarkable when you think about it that the earth shall be called to rejoice in the Lord. That's what it says here. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, break forth in song and rejoice and sing praises, all the earth. Didn't the psalmist know that the earth, as the Apostle Paul would write later on in Romans 8, is groaning in decay? We read about it. We think about it every day. The earth is groaning. Even during the last week or so, even in a modern city like Dallas, Texas, 20 people indeed who have died because of the terrible floods there. Think of the groaning. Think of the grief and the pain also there. 
Were there no earthquakes, no tsunamis, no floods, no forest fires to ravage the earth in the days of the psalmist so that the earth was to do any singing, it would be nothing but unbroken grief and sorrow. Yes, yes, the psalmist would have known about those things. He would have known the travail, the hard labor that the earth goes through day after day and year after year before finally the great renewal will come about as God's decree. That day in that new year when that new song called the music of the spheres will echo from every hill and plain to fill all of creation with singing and glory. But this is what the psalmist knew and this is what we know. It's still our Father's world. It's still our Father's world. Despite all the violence and all the disasters and all the misery and all the sin, which, unless the Lord returns today, will see more tragedies and more landslides and more sin and decay. We'll see also of those whose lives today are heading for condemnation but it is still our Father's world. And so that we may shout and we may sing and we may make music to the Lord and we may do so with the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, even those dolphins and those whales and other creatures who unknowingly sing the praises of God as they testify to His creative handiwork, His creative genius. I understand they have done tests and see to find that those whales with those high-pitched voices, they may be able to con communicate with each other even though there may be 2,000 kilometers or more between them. Huh. That's why I may say they even sing the praises of God unknowingly, unwittingly. Oh yes, then there may be times as there have been times and years when the earth indeed will be devastated, ravaged by cruel wars. There have been many times when people were in the midst of starvation, when deformation also lay like a sickly blanket even over the church, stifling all thoughts of reformation, true and regenerated living, until the Lord came to the rescue. He's still capable of doing that. For Christ made his presence and his providence felt. Jesus was born, and then he died, but he was raised, and he lives, and he has his hand on the rudder of history. And not only, but he holds on to the lives of those who are truly his, even as he holds on to the planet and its revolutions around the sun, so that the earth and its inhabitants might break forth into song. That's why. That joy may be reborn every day of 2016 in the hearts of God's children. That tiny tots and strapping teenagers, as well as perhaps sometimes drowsy dowagers, might sing and rejoice. Might sing and rejoice. And that the harp and other stringed instruments, 
used by God the Holy Spirit himself in generating praise to his name that they may not be lost and they may not be hidden away and rust away, but that psalms and hymns and spiritual songs may indeed not be lost or forgotten, but may be used to praise this marvelous creator, redeemer. That in this new year and with this new song and new singing, no one on earth and in heaven may be left joyless, fruitless, praiseless, nor that anyone might condemn those instruments fashioned to help make music to the Lord, but that the clashing cymbals, as Psalm 150 says, might ring, even as God's children sing praises to him right up to the day when God's angel choirs arrive to announce the beginning of that great day of worship that will never end. My wife and I heard a wonderful choir, perhaps you did too recently. That choir, it had no less than 125 voices. It was accompanied as well by string choirs and no less than two or three trumpets. It was thrilling to hear the music that was God-glorifying. But now, imagine. Imagine having our voices channeled through vocal cords that will belong to new and incorruptible, imperishable bodies, led by angel choirs under the direction of the director-in-chief, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. We have that to look forward to. Do you? Do you look forward to that? Do we pray forward to that, you and I? Well, that's great. If we do it with hearts that are joyful in the Lord, hearts and minds old, unfolded like flowers before him, open to the sun above. That sun, Jesus Christ, will melt the clouds of sin and sadness. He will drive the dark of doubt away. He's the giver of immortal gladness. He's there for us each day and each night. So starting in these pews and in your homes and our schools and at work and on the road, we offer our voices and our music to the Lord. Make that your New Year's revolution if you are making any at all. And pray to the Lord that you may keep that resolution, even as we consider for a moment the extent, the reach of this new song. In the closing verses, brothers and sisters, the closing three verses of our text, the Lord basically says that he would have all of creation sit up and take notice of him, of he who is the king. With words that are very similar to those the psalmist used in Psalm 96, he directs the psalmist to address all things, the earth, the sea, the dry land, the ocean depths. Why? Why this crescendo of praise? This triple forte, as it were, of music that's here. Why this roaring of the sea and its fullness? Well, if you've ever stood 
from a pier, as I did as a young child in Scheveningen in the Netherlands, and you heard the crashing of the waves against that pier, and then imagine that multiplied by a zillion times, then indeed that ocean can make a lot of noise. But why should every wave crest over and bow down, as it were, in joy before the Lord? Why may none be silent? Why must the rivers clap their hands? And clapping in the hands in the Bible is very often a way of expressing joy at the crowning of a king. 2 Kings 11, Psalm 47, speak about that. Because our king is also the judge of the world and all the people in it. And one day when he returns, he will bring all of creation out from under the curse that he imposed on it because of our sin. Says Paul in Romans 8, the creation itself, the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Even today, our Lord Jesus Christ is on the way. He's on the way. And today, he's moved another page of history, and he brings us another step closer to that day of his return. The action words in the closing verse of our text lead us, indeed, to know that it is as good as done. With righteousness, he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity, and he's coming to judge the earth. In the original language, there's a strong indication there that that is basically accomplished, simply because the Lord has said so, because he's promised it. Oh, and then we know that this judgment will be a terrible, fearful one. For those who have stubbornly refused to acknowledge the king's sovereignty, his verdict also will be a solemn a sovereign one, a righteous one that is fair, an equitable judgment in keeping with the revelation of his word, his warnings. But then, then we know that before he returns, yes, nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. We see that and certainly now already there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, said the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24. And yes, yet that final judgment, that final judgment will bring wondrous and unspeakable joy to all God's faithful children in those whose hearts are lifted up also today and will be this new year. One faithful commentator says, let God's people welcome that day. Yes, let the hallelujah chorus sing out. Let us go and meet the Lord with joyful anticipation and with affection born of humility, for he comes to renew the earth and will govern the new mankind that she may live in righteousness and in glory forever. Well then, brothers and sisters, let us not be slack, but let us rejoice in the Lord always, as Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let us keep on singing a new song to the Lord. We begin 2016 in the sure knowledge that Jesus Christ was born and died, but that he rules on high. And yet, yes, today the earth is still groaning. 
the earth is still groaning, yet let our joy in the Lord not be silenced. Let us follow the direction of the Holy Spirit who had Apostle Paul addressed the saints in Philippi many years ago, even while he was in prison, yet he wrote that letter to them. It is indeed an extraordinary letter that is filled with so much joy. And even as he comes to close to the end of that letter, he says, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. <laughs> That's very close. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And may you too have a blessed new year. Amen.